Today's episode of History is brought to you by beer. Beer, yeah. Helping ugly Mesopotamians get laid for at least the last 6,000 years. Hey everybody, thanks for finding us and tuning in to our first ever history podcast. Every Tuesday we'll be putting this out there for you, tales about alcohol and its impact on the history of man. And stick around for the end of the show and listen for a very special offer for history podcast listeners at Patty Malone's Irish Pub. Thirst. The physiological drive to drink liquid. It's deadlier than hunger. You can survive without food for nearly three weeks. But without liquid sustenance, even in the most ideal of conditions, you'd be hard-pressed to make it just a few days before your body began to shut down. Of course, the most abundant liquid in our world is water. Some species of animals and plants are made up of almost 95% water. Now, we humans, we're only 68%, but every living thing that we know is at least 60% H2O. So, thirst. Other than breathing, it's the strongest compulsion that we have. More than hunger more than sex well usually more than sex at least in normal people another urge that most species of fauna seem to share is the pursuit of altered consciousness grazing animals in North America they seek out jimson weed what we more commonly know as loco weed Reindeer and caribou in the boreal forest of Canada and Scandinavia are known to forage for mushrooms and fungi in pursuit of psychotropic trips, kind of like a northern exposure acid, if you will. Maybe that's how Santa Claus gets them to fly. (laughs) And let's not forget our household tabby cat, who, if you allowed it to, would stay so looped on catnip that it might skip eating altogether. But the preferred substance to get messed up on by most species, from elephants to birds to snails and to us, is alcohol. And we humans have perfected the intersection of these two instinctual desires of thirst and intoxication. We generally think of history, that is, history with the capital H, as one big monolithic thing. That is, all of the activities of human beings since we first began to record events with writing. Now, sometimes we divide that history into, say, the history of a race, or the history of a culture, or the history of a civilization, or society, or a piece of land, a government, or a country. But, as the philosopher of science Karl Popper once noted, there is really no history of mankind. There are only the many histories of all kinds of aspects 
of human life. And the one aspect of human life that has been with us since before we even started to write down our own history is alcohol. I'm Alan Tatman, and because no good story ever began with, this one time we were eating a salad. This is history, the story of alcohol. Now, when did man start producing alcohol for consumption? Well, that's the wrong question. The real question is, when did alcohol begin to occur in nature? The activity of fauna, that is, animals and insects, getting drunk probably predates the human species by about 61 million years. Paleontologist and paleobotanist, think of Sam Neill and Laura Dern in the first Jurassic Park. Now, they tell us that as far back as the Cretaceous period, that's 65 and a half million years ago, just before that meteor wiped out all the dinosaurs, there is evidence of alcohol naturally occurring in nectar-bearing flowers and fruit-bearing plants. It could be surmised that many ancient species probably sought out fermented nectar and fruit for their diet, as many animals, birds, and insects do today. Now, on my mother's side of the family, there is an expression as crazy as a peach orchard boar. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't really know what that meant. But later on, I learned that in orchards, some of the fruit doesn't get picked, and it falls to the ground where it begins to rot. And one of the processes that occurs during this decomposition period is our friend fermentation. Naturally occurring wild yeast strains, they process fructose sugars into ethanol, which is that magical stuff in our beverages that makes us feel so good. <laughs> All kinds of animals, hogs, deer, cows, horses, bears, moose, and other frugivorous, that is fruit eating, animals seek out those fermented fruits in orchards and prefer eating them over unfermented fruit. But who wouldn't? And sometimes they eat to the point of getting completely smashed. So, take a boar, a male pig, set him loose in a peach orchard, say in September when the fruit's getting ripe and it's hitting the ground, and it's been there a few days, and boy, he's going to get on a bender. Little side note regarding my mother's side of the family. We have another expression there. It's called crazier than a shithouse rat. Now, you see, one of the chemicals produced by decomposing feces and urine in outhouses is ammonia. And overexposure to ammonia causes the same symptoms as overconsumption of alcohol. That is, confusion, dizziness, lack of coordination, restlessness, altered levels of consciousness. 
Now, if someone was really batshit crazy, I assume that saying has something to do with ammonia being produced by bat guano. You would occasionally hear my family describe that person as... If a peach orchard boar and a shithouse rat got together and had a baby, it still wouldn't be as crazy as his shit. My mother's uh, folks are quite colorful. Now, back to animals and alcohol. Just go online and Google drunk bear, drunk moose, drunk animal, any kind of animal. You'll find all kinds of videos about wildlife getting wasted. Now, we can only assume they do this because of the way it tastes and makes them feel, which is the same motivation that we have for drinking beer, wine, and spirits. Also, animals in the wild will eat until there is no more food to be eaten. It's that feast or famine thing, you know? Survival instinct. Ethanol plumes, that is the gas that's produced as a byproduct of fermentation, can attract animals from over many, many miles. These plumes also leave a fossil footprint, or so the paleontologist and the paleobotanist tell us. And I'll have to take their word for it because, well, I'm just not that smart. See, I'm not a scientist. I'm just a half-ass historian and a bar owner from central Missouri. So now, to create ethanol, that is alcohol, all nature needs is some juicy fruit sugars, some wild yeast, a little bit of thyme, and ta-da! The party just got started. Now, it appears as if the earliest ancestors of humans, that is frugivorous primates, were probably getting drunk from the very beginning. Even today, if monkeys are given access to alcohol, they will drink themselves into a wild stupor. In some countries, monkeys seeking out places where humans drink in an attempt to steal alcohol from them is a major problem. Just go Google drunk monkey with a knife. Go on, do it. Drunk monkey with a knife. And you'll see what I mean. Now, because the consumption of alcohol acts as an appetite stimulant, who doesn't want to go to Steak and Shake after the bar closes? These early primates probably ate as much fermented fruit as they could find. They, they wouldn't want to see that fruit go to waste. So, binge drinking actually probably began as binge eating. And it predates tool making animal husbandry, agriculture, and undoubtedly it remained an activity with the early hunter-gatherer groups of humans who moved out of Africa 50,000 years ago. These nomadic bands who went from place to place to exploit the seasonal food availability undoubtedly knew where the fruit trees were and when the fruit would be at its most ripe. Now, some fermented fruit will have an alcohol content as high as 10 to 12%, which is a similar gravity to low ABV wines and some naturally fermented hard ciders. So it looks like, as a species, 
We have been getting drunk for a very, very long time. So, fast forward to 10,000 years BCE in the Middle East, particularly between Mesopotamia and the Nile Valley, the area known as the Fertile Crescent. You may have remembered it from back in your social studies class in junior high, if you had been paying attention. It's here that the humans first abandoned the hunter-gatherer lifestyle of the Paleolithic period, that is, the Old Stone Age. And they began to adopt farming and animal husbandry, ushering in the Neolithic, or the New Stone Age. Now, at the end of the last Ice Age, the uplands of this region were densely populated by wild goats, sheep, cattle, and swine which had been attracted to the dense stands of wild grain-bearing grasses growing over the plains in this region. It was a proverbial promised land for these hunter-gatherers. And over the next 5,000 years, they learned how to domesticate all of these animals. They began harvesting these wild grains. Eventually, they figured out that if you kept some of the grains and planted them again in the ground, boom! More grasses, more grains, every year, just like the sun rising in the east every morning. The nice thing about grain is that it keeps well if stored in a dry environment. So, these grains soon became the staple part of their diet. Now, with this behavioral shift from nomadic hunting to sedentary farming, man settled into villages, which later grew into cities. And one of the things that farming did for these groups was it freed up time, whereas other activities could be pursued beyond that of just trying to find food every day. Activities such as the development of technology like pottery and masonry, wheeled vehicles, metalworking, writing, and most importantly, as far as we're concerned, brewing. Now, when the first beer was intentionally brewed is not known, but it most certainly happened between 10,000 years BCE and 4,500 years BCE. Now, how do we know this? Well, a pictogram from 6,000 years ago was found on a ceramic seal in Mesopotamia, and it shows two figures drinking beer through straws from a large pottery jar. Now, the use of straws in the picture is the key. It's the key clue to tell us that it's beer. See, ancient beer had bits of grain, chaff, yeast, and other residue floating on the top or settling on the bottom of the vessel. So using a straw to pull the liquid from the middle of the jar was necessary to avoid swallowing this gunk. My guess is cold filtering hadn't been invented yet. The earliest written documents from 3400 years BCE tell us nothing directly about the origins of beer, although they do mention the storage of grain. But what is certain is that the rise of beer is associated with the cultivation of these cereal grains, wheat, barley, and rye. The ruins of a huge brewery dating from this period were found by archaeologists in Egypt. Now, this brewery was so large, it could produce 300 gallons of beer every day. 
So it can be assumed that since the brewing process was being done on such a large scale by that time, it had to have been around for quite a while. But the question is, how much earlier? Wild cereal grains were probably first consumed by hunter-gatherers, just picked them off of the grasses, and then later they would develop porridges and soups, with the grains being cracked and soaked, and other foodstuffs would have been mixed in with the softened grains, like berries, meats, nuts, and so forth, creating a stable and nutritious diet. Now, the earliest cooking methods for these grains was consisted of placing the grains with water into a plaster-lined basket or a ceramic vessel, and then taking hot stones from a fire using sticks and crude shovels, you'd drop them into the vessel of water where it would boil the water. It would heat it up. And the grains, of course, contained starches, and in the hot water, the starches were released. Thickening of the broth considerably happened, and the longer you cooked it, the thicker the soup would get. But here's the question. What happens if you're soaking your grain and you don't cook it right away? Well, whole grains, when left in warm water, will begin to germinate. That is, they sprout. They think they're growing, they, like they do in nature if you put them in the ground. Now this germination process converts the starches in the grain into sugars, including glucose, maltose, maltotrioses, and maltodextrins. This process is called malting. Now other enzymes also develop, called proteases, which they break down the proteins in the grain, allowing yeast to process these fermentable sugars into alcohol. Now again, this is science, so it's kind of above my pay grade. I, I really don't understand what's going on beyond a basic comprehension of what I read, but I don't need to to enjoy the end product. And I'm sure that our early human ancestors felt the same way. Undoubtedly, beer or any other fermented beverage was discovered completely by accident sometime around 10 to 12,000 years ago. Perhaps what happened was a hunter-gatherer was out. They left a bowl of grain soaking for a few days, getting ready to cook it, but they got busy being chased by mastodons and saber-toothed cats, and they just didn't get around to it. And they came home one day, and there was a brown foam on top of the grain vat where it had been soaking. The water in the vat had become warm, but not hot enough to cook it, and that's, of course, caused the grain to sprout and germinate. And the germination then converted the starches into sugars. And then wild yeast then converted the sugars into alcohol. And our forefathers there, our hunter-gatherer ancestors, rather than throwing the grain out, they're not going to waste it. It's hard to get food when you're a hunter-gatherer. They ate it anyway. And they probably drank the water off of it, too. And they liked the way it tasted. And they really liked the way it made them feel. And then they probably got under the animal skins and made the beast with two backs after that. Or whatever euphemism they used back in the late Paleolithic to describe sexual congress. 
Then when they woke up the next morning, it was like, wow, look at this great gift that the gods gave us. I wonder how we can make sure that it happens again. And so they started to try to figure out the processes of what happened to make the grain into this new concoction that they had discovered. Now, I added the sex part in there because there's a number of pictographs from early Mesopotamia that show people not only drinking beer with the straws out of vats, but at the same time having carnal relations. So it appears as if sex and alcohol have been going together for quite a while. If you want to see one of these pictographs, go to our website, www.history.com, and there's one there that you can see. Now, this early beer that they were making out of the grains that have been left sitting around, we would find almost unpalatable. Unless you're a really bad alcoholic, and then you would find it better, say, than drinking sewer water. Now, fortunately, somebody after these early discoveries then learned how to control the malting process. And then a few millennia later, some Benedictine monks in France added hops into the brewing process, which is really when the modern ale styles began to emerge in Europe. Lagers came along later in Germany. And then uh, in late 20th century United States, Smirnoff Ice came along, and that was when society began to decline, and we could see the end of the world just on the horizon. And that's where we are today. Now, back to the great civilizations in Mesopotamia and Egypt. The one thing that everybody would have drank every day was beer. This was especially true in areas of highly concentrated populations, where the water supply would probably have been tainted by diarrheal microbes from animal and human waste. Now, the one thing about beer was you could drink it and you wouldn't get sick, unlike if you drank from the public water supply. Beer with a content of alcohol as small as 3% would kill the bacterial microbes that would make you sick, therefore making it safer to drink than anything else that you'd be able to get a hold of. And when I said everybody drank beer, I meant everybody, from babes and toddlers who were just off the teat to old people who were, say, in their late 30s. Beer was nutritious. It was delicious. It was safe to consume, and it made you feel good. And these civilizations flourished because of beer. But alcohol helped some other civilizations in their rise as well. In China, archaeological discoveries in the Yellow River Valley show that a type of rice mead made from rice, honey, and water was being fermented as far back as 9,000 years ago making it one of the earliest verified intentionally brewed beverages. These early Asian societies, they preferred rice wines to beer, and there's a difference in the fermentation process, and I'll get to that in a future podcast. And these wines would be made from rice and millet and grain sorghum, what we call Milo here in the Midwest. 
In Persia, that is modern Iran, the early Persians seemed to be the first civilization to actively practice the art of viticulture, that is, cultivating of grapes and making wine, going back to 7,500 years ago. Now, from Persia, this art traveled first to Babylon, where those people already had beer, and then by 2000 BCE onward to Greece. Now, through trade routes, viticulture subsequently spread far throughout the entire Mediterranean, from Phoenicia in the east to the Iberian Peninsula in the west. And by the time of the rise of the Roman state, wine was the dominant beverage in that area. Now, before they learned about wine, the early Greeks drank mostly mead, that is, fermented honey water. And there's evidence of mead brewing going back all the way to 2800 years BCE by the Bell Beaker culture in Central Europe. From there, the art of mead making spread north and west into what is today Germany, the British Isles, and Scandinavia. In the Indus Valley of Southern Asia, evidence shows that a beverage called Sura was being consumed as early as 3000 years BCE. Sura was brewed from rice, honey, and or sugarcane syrup and had botanicals and fruit added along with it. Sura was considered the favorite beverage of the Hindu gods. And even in pre-Columbian American cultures and societies, they were brewing alcohol. We usually don't think of alcohol when we talk about the Native Americans because of the stereotype that they can't hold their liquor. But this is a racial preconception by Europeans because of natives' intolerance for strong spirits that were introduced to them after 1500. Truthfully, almost every agricultural society of the New World prior to European contact, especially that in Mesoamerica and the Andes, brewed beverages made from crops and plants specific to their cultures, with agave, pineapple, maize, manioc root, yucca, cigarro, even the Iroquois of what is today the northeastern United States made a mildly alcoholic drink from fermented maple syrup. So the next time you sit down with a delicious pint of beer or a glass of wine or some sake or mead, thank our now long gone ancestors who sought to find a better way to brew and ferment alcohol. Every glass represents countless generations of knowledge about brewing and fermentation. So raise a glass to those who brewed before us, because you can't have a beer unless somebody learned how to make it. So until next week, kids, this is your drunk Uncle Al reminding you of what the great Mark Twain once said, sometimes too much drink is barely enough. This episode of History was written and produced by me, Alan Tatman, and was recorded at River's Edge Studios and Patty Malone's Pub in Jefferson City, Missouri. For more information about our local pub, check us out and like us on our Facebook page, Patty Malone's Irish Pub. The technical director of History is Brian McGeorge. History is a weekly podcast by Wild Irish Productions, all rights reserved. 
You can find a transcript of the show, as well as related images, links, and a list of source material at our website. That's www.history.com. That's history, H-I-S-H-T-O-R-Y. If you have any ideas or suggestions for a future topic about the history of alcohol, drop me an email at cheers at history.com. Find us on Facebook, History, the Story of Alcohol, and on Twitter, at History. Please subscribe and post a review on iTunes. Tell your friends about us and share us on Facebook and Twitter. The History theme song is from bensound.com. Do you need royalty-free music for your project? Check out bensound.com. Oh, and that special offer that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. All right. Come by Patty Malone's tonight or tomorrow. That's Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. That's November 22nd and 23rd between 3 and 9 p.m. And go to your server or bartender and say this phrase. Beer. It's what's for supper. That's beer, it's what's for supper, and get a special offer on a 20-ounce craft brewed draft. And that includes Boulevard, Mothers, Samuel Adams, Blue Moon, Sierra Nevada, all of our craft brews that we have on draft at the pub. This offer is only valid to customers of 21 years of age and older, and only one special offer per person per day Thank you very much. Now, some of you are wondering, uh, have I been drinking while I recorded this podcast? And the truth of the matter is, yes. And I was drinking bourbon tonight. Why wouldn't I? I'm a functioning alcoholic that owns a pub. I drink. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. Thank you, Tyrion Lannister. So thanks again for listening. I hope you'll tune in next week when we'll have our next episode of History, the Story of Alcohol. And until then, please drink responsibly. Don't drink and drive. Be safe to yourself and to others. And thanks again. I'll see you soon. Slana Walia, so long. Merrily, you are the measure of my dreams. I love you, honey. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>